You know, there was a, uh, a pastor, a very prominent pastor in the United States. I don't even know his name. He was being interviewed by John MacArthur. And MacArthur asked him, so I haven't ever heard you preach on the Christmas story or Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. Is, is there a reason or did I just miss it? And, and he said, and I quote, uh, well, I don't teach on things or deny things that I don't comprehend. I just don't deal with them. Prominent pastor. Are you kidding me? I mean, here's my question. Doesn't that make God like as small as your own personal musings? Doesn't that make God as small as your own understandings or your own insights? I'm only going to deal with that which I can understand. If I can get my arm around it, then, then I'll deal with it. Otherwise, forget it. Let me tell you something. The majesty of our God is in his vastness compared to our smallness. The majesty of our God is in his unfathomable abilities compared to our small thinking. And we need to be celebrating him in his vastness, in his unfathomableness. Is that a word? Let's go after our God and worship him with all we've got. Today we're starting a Christmas series called Heaven at Your Doorstep. It's God Almighty come down right here with us to do life with us, to teach us, to show us. It's the God-man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 1. So why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and for those of you who don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We've got ushers coming forward. They can get a Bible to you, okay? Matthew chapter 1, we're just going to walk through this passage. We're simply answering the question, who is this amazing, unfathomable God? Maybe how should I be responding to him? Who is he? First, out of the first 17 verses, we get this response. He is the rightful king. He is the rightful king of kings. Let's just start out here. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The genealogy. Ooh, that, that sounds interesting, right? How many times do we flip in and we're like, Man, I'm going to look in the Bible for a good genealogy today right? Oftentimes we hit these genealogies and the first thing we do is we say, and skipping over that. And, and sometimes we miss some really good, helpful insights. Today we're going to walk through just a piece of the genealogy of who? Well, it says of Jesus, but it says more than that. It says of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our savior, Jesus Christ, has a lineage. Now it points out two people that he comes from. It says the son of David and the son of Abraham. Why? Because he's trying to use this genealogy to say two things. We have a rightful king in the flesh and we have 
a true seed of Abraham, of the promise of Abraham, a Jew among Jews, and a king among kings. That's who we have. Let's make sure we understand that. Let me give you a little genealogy. That's where Matthew's going, okay? Bloodline, it was pretty much everything in the Jewish faith. They wanted to make sure that they were of the lineage that was appropriate. So he came of the lineage of the source, Abraham, and he came of the lineage of the king, David. Now notice it says in verse 2, we're going to start out here, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Hey, we, we know that story, don't we? Like for those of you who have been with us over the last couple of months, we just got done with a series called Faith Walk. And we were walking through the story of Abraham and his promise. He was 75 years old and it wasn't just a few months later or even just a few years later, but 25 years later that that promise of a son would come true. With his son, which he named Laughter, Yitzhak. And Abraham and Isaac, that story we just went through, was this passionate story of how to partner with God and follow after him. And God promised Abraham in the midst of it, I'm telling you this. Lots and lots of kids and grandkids coming after you. I promise you multitudes after you. I promise you kings after you. I promise you property after you. Check this out. So that's where we were. Here's where we are. A couple thousand years later, it says, Abraham was, and we'll just read through this piece of the genealogy, the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king, note the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. We start with Abraham, and we move through a few generations here, and all of a sudden we have a king. God's promise. There will be kings coming from you. But more than that, just a couple things to note in this. There's four women listed here. And these women were maybe not the women that if you polled the average Jew at that time and said, hey, what women would you put into the lineage that would be important to remember? They probably wouldn't choose these four. So let's just make note of it. And then we'll try to figure a few things out with it. Verse 3. It says, Tamar, and then in verse 5, Rahab, both of those were prostitutes. Tamar and Rahab, um, not the best backgrounds. Ruth, well, she was a Moabitess. She was a very faithful woman. And by the way, we're going to be studying a little bit on Ruth coming up here. But Ruth, a Moabite woman, she came off a different lineage. She wasn't from the Jewish line. Oh, and then there's, you know, that wife of Uriah. Doesn't even say the name Bathsheba, right? We have four women mentioned here. Bathsheba, adultery, Tamar and Rahab, priors, and Ruth, not even in the clan. Okay? Just want you to know, God's using people. God's moving. Don't think too highly of yourself, right? Ease up on the whole. Our lineage is so awesome. Oh, and by the way, if you're getting a little uptight about Jesus and who his lineage was, it says right in the midst of it, these women were leading David the king, and we accepted his kingship. We've got a genealogy with some very key women being presented. 
Women who turned and became very faithful followers of the Almighty. But women who had pasts that were other than stellar. God uses. God uses us. Where are you at? What past do you have? Maybe it's time to just say, forget it. I'm looking forward and I'm running hard after my God. I wonder what he could do through my lineage as I work with him. Okay. A little more of the genealogy. Are you ready? Take a deep breath. Here we go. We're going to read through the rest of the genealogy. And David was the father of, listen to all these kings, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, all kings here, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Whew! Okay, so the promise to Abraham, multitudes, oh yeah, and kings, that whole list is kings. God coming through with his promises. God working mightily. After the deportation to Babylon, we have Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, the Messiah. Lineage straight from Abraham to Messiah. Why do we read those names? Because some of you are with child and you're looking for great names of... No. <laughs> That's not why. Because God is showing direct lineage from Abraham to the Messiah through kings. That there is rightful kingship in our Almighty from the human side. That he has a following that leads to kingship. Notice this. In verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Of whom? That word in the Greek there is actually in the feminine form. It's saying only attached to Mary, not attached to Joseph. Okay? It's not whom in the masculine, which would collectively include both of them. It's whom in the feminine. This person, Jesus Christ, was born to Mary alone. Joseph yeah, he was her husband. Well, why even mention it this way then? Notice the way this thing flows, it flows down through Joseph. And hey, I look at this and then I look at Luke and the genealogies don't match. What's up with that? How, how is this thing working out? Here's the answer. The genealogies here are actually showing rightful heir. And rightful heir gets passed through fatherhoods. Okay, and so this is walking down through the fatherhoods and it walks through Joseph to rightful human heir to the Davidic throne and to the Abrahamic seed. God Almighty taking on flesh and he is actually of the seeds that are most important. That's what's going on here. Now, here's a little thing to note. Uh, in the Hebrew... The alphabet, they call it the alephabet because their first two words were aleph and bait, okay? So the aleph bait is actually also used as a number scheme. 
You actually use these alphabetic number or letters to indicate numbers. So Aleph would be the number one and Bait would be the number two and, and so on. So if we were to think of a name, for example, think of the name David, okay? It's got three consonants in it, D, V, and D, all right? So the D is worth four and the V is worth six and the other D is again worth four, okay? So you ready? Ready to do the math with me? So what's four plus six plus four? 14. Hey, you guys are on. I was thinking maybe I should get a candy bar to give to somebody. That would have been a lot of candy bars. All right. 14. Keep that in mind. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were how many? 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. God had a plan. He's working through. He's working with. He's working among. He's taking the King David and his rightful heirship, obviously, as he was chosen. And he's saying, let me tell you something. This whole thing is structured in order to show you that this man, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, rightful heir to the throne of David. That's what we need to be taken from this. When we look at this genealogy, when we see the structures, when we see the connections, all we need to say is, it's his. Maybe you should say it with me. Just say, it's his. Ready? It's his. That's what we need to get out of it. When we read Matthew 1, 1 through 17, the throne, oh, it's his. That's what we need to be hearing. Okay? Now, we can uh, wrestle a little bit with, it's his. We can understand that, He's the rightful king. We can grasp that our almighty God is in charge. My question is, how are you doing at letting that happen? How are you doing at saying, Lord, I'm going to let you be king of my life? You know, this, uh, this past week, we, uh, we had one of our members here in the body, uh, Doug Dreher, went into the hospital. He had... Um, a form of stroke, a small stroke. And he was in there, and it was touch and go for a while. And there was some sensitivity to some medications. It's not even all totally understood. But there was a point where the doctors were even a little concerned, uh, a lot concerned. Doug's doing pretty well now. And uh, my wife and I stopped in on Thursday night to see him. And uh, what does pretty well mean? Well, it means several weeks of rehab, at least, uh, staying in the hospital. It means... As he said, well, I got to learn to walk again. I said, Doug, how are you doing? And his answer was, hey, we're all called to something. This is what I'm called to walk through. I mean, we all have to learn something. I guess we're going to be asked to learn through this. I'm telling you, that's a good attitude. That's a, I have a rightful king. And he's in charge in my life. Let me introduce you to him. That's a, God, I'm not going to question where you're headed and I'm not going to move in the wrong directions. I'm going to simply say this with a smile on my face. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm right there with him. And so I actually walked as he laughed and said, I walked from that side of the bed all the way around to that side of the bed today. Progress. Well, I used a walker, but I'm getting there, right? It's a big deal. It's important for us to rally around those we know 
who are going through a struggle. I mean, for those who don't know Doug Dreher, I mean, his wife is the bookkeeper with our staff. And, um, you know, it's great to see God working in his life. It's great for people to be rallying around you and seeing God work in your life. What has God called you to? What has God called you through? Where it's time to look him in the eye and say, you are rightful king. I'm following you with all I've got. No questioning, no complaining. I'm right there with you. This is as much to me as it is to you. How often do we do this in our daily lives where we just question, complain, want to go around and not through? Let's look him in the eye and say, I'm there with you, Lord. I'm running with you, Lord. You are rightful king in my life too. Second, not only is he rightful king, but he is fully God and fully man. He is fully God and fully man. Uh Uh-oh, he's getting all doctrinal on me. Yeah, here we go. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Mary betrothed before they came together with child. Okay, let's just try to picture that scenario for a moment. Okay, Mary. She's looking to be married. That's what betrothed means, engaged, okay? Typical engagement for a young lady in that time frame was somewhere in the 13 to maybe 15 or 16 years old, all right? 13 to 16 years old, engaged, now with child. Why don't you come on up, Meg? This, uh, this is my daughter, Megan. Megan is 14. So, uh, yikes. <laughs> right? I mean, this is one of those where somehow we fell, we hit our head, we decided she was ready to get married at 14, right? And in the midst of their culture, hey, 14 was typical, and so I love you, babe, you're engaged. And then all of a sudden, we discover not just engaged, but uh, with child. And then we have a little conversation, father to daughter. How did this happen? Well, God came and told me, and and this is his baby. Okay, look, we're going to have to have a real conversation, (laughs) right? Can you imagine at 14 years old, this is what's going on. Thanks, babe. Just to get a little perspective. What did you just say? When it says here, found to be with child, that wasn't by Mary. That was by those around her. Why do I say that? I'm just going to turn to Luke chapter 1 and read something here. You don't have to turn with me if you don't want to. Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, to his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since, well, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You hear it? Uh, Mary wasn't surprised. I mean, she was surprised by the approach by the angels. But the angel gave her a very clear statement of which way things were headed. I want you to understand, Holy Spirit, you, baby, son of God, wow, on the throne forever. You need to know great privilege coming through you. That's where we're headed next. Oh, and by the way, just to prove to you that God can do really the miraculous, we're going to take someone of a little bit older persuasion, and we've got her six months pregnant. And then Mary's like, wow, then I'm in, right? Like somehow that was a very, that was the strong convincer for her. I don't know. So in the midst of this, she's wrestling with God has brought a message to me of his privilege and his opportunity through me. Oh, I'm in. I'm the servant of the Almighty. And let's make sure we hear that word, servant. Let's be careful that this doesn't become a season where we lift up the bearer of the king rather than the king. Mary, she's a great servant and a great example of being ready for God to work through you. You know, so we go back to Matthew. It says, before they'd come together, she was found to be with child well, from the Holy Spirit. So in the midst of this discussion between dad and daughter and between betrothed and wife-to-be, there was a finding that she was standing on her word that this baby was, well, it was God's. This is God's baby, not, not somebody else. And so they have a choice. Do we believe what would be the most obvious natural explanation? Or do we believe in the miraculous explanation? And they were wrestling with those things. Notice it says right after it, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph, wrestling with the natural versus the miraculous, went, Mary, you're impressive, but I'm not going with you on this one. You've got to be kidding me. I'll put you away quietly. There were several choices in the Jewish community and culture. One was stoning. Not real popular at the time, but if you were caught in adultery, stone. He went to the, fine, you're claiming God's child, and we don't typically do that around here. We'll go to the lesser. I'm just going to step away quietly. All I need is two witnesses. Get me out. This hurts. I'm not feeling real good about where we're at. Joseph, wrestling with a truth. Remember what we were talking about in the beginning. A pastor who was challenged with, what do you do when the miraculous is right before you? 
What do you do when the vastness and the unfathomableness of God is right before you? What's your response? Let's put it this way. He was wrestling with the image of Christ as fully God and fully man. Let's just walk through that for a second. Fully God. The Holy Spirit will be your father. Fully God. You know, let me just read a few things about Jesus being God. Titus 2, 13. It says, Watching for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's more than just a man. He is God Almighty. Jesus Christ, the reigning God of the universe, the glorious God and our Savior. John 20, 28. Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. He's saying, you are my everything. And Jesus doesn't go, whoa, 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 hang on. Stop. That's going too far. I mean, I'm showing you some wounds and stuff. Yes, but stop with the God stuff. No, he says, now you've got it. My Lord and my God. Jesus is God Almighty. Colossians 2, 9. In Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, fully God. We need to embrace this with everything we have. Jesus, not just a good teacher. Yes, a good teacher, not just a good teacher. Fully God. Here's what I'm going to ask. I need for this whole side of this worship center to be the fully God side, okay? So here's what I'm asking you to do. Like with all you've got, I need to hear from you. Who is Jesus Christ? He is fully God. I need a little louder. He is fully God. Keep it in mind. Hang on. But he's more than that. He's fully man. He's got Mary as his mother. And God Almighty has stepped down to take on humanity. A couple of verses for it. Galatians 4.4. 4 says he's born of a woman. I mean, we've seen it here in Matthew. We see it in Luke. Born of a woman, Mary. John 4, 6. Did you know that Jesus actually became tired? He became weary. And we say, well, how could that happen? How could God be tired? And the answer is, he doesn't. You're not talking to the fullness of God. You're talking about the fullness of the humanity now. And in his humanness, his physical body was human. He did experience tiredness. John 19, 28. He experienced thirst. He actually wanted a drink. He had a physical body. Matthew 4, 2. Oh, and he was hungry too. Did I mention that? Food and water, those are good things for a human being. So he's fully man. He's experiencing weariness and thirst and birth and hunger. And John eleven thirty five. he even experienced emotions like weeping. And in other spots, we see him marveling. We have the holiness And we have the humanity bound up together. And here's the beauty. Hebrews 4.15. Yet without sin. Fully God. And what would he also be? Fully man. I need to hear it with all you've got. Fully man. Why is that important that he is fully God and fully man? Why is it important? Hebrews chapter 2. Because in the end, we are looking for a replacement payment. For all of humanity. 
And the almighty God said, we need human replacement, human blood for human mistake. But each of us, well, our own payment just pays for us and that's it. So God almighty clothes himself, takes on humanity. And in the midst of being fully God and fully man, he lives the perfect life. He makes the perfect replacement. And now what's available for you and me is complete forgiveness without a compromise to his holiness. He can say, I forgive you and my justice, I will use that payment to wash out what you owe. He is fully God and he is fully man. That is the celebration of the Christmas story. Amen. Now that's what we're talking about. Some serious doctrine going on and some serious get your arms around the whole of that thing. I deny it or I walk away from it. You've got to be kidding me. The majesty of our God is in the vastness of him versus the smallness of us. He is fully God and he is fully man. We need to get pumped up on that. We need to get so pumped up on it that we're like, I'm going to try to understand it a little better. And then you get like a pinch further, right? And you just keep wrestling with, keep learning about the vastness and the awesomeness of our God. Can you tell I'm pumped up on that? All right. Two natures, one person. That's the summary. Fully God and fully man in the one man, Jesus Christ, our mediator between God and man. He is our awesome redeemer he is our replacement payment but he's more than that we're told in hebrews he's also our priest great high priest who knows exactly what we've been through and yet he didn't falter he's your ultimate coach if you will being able to give you the words you need right when you need it you know this past uh, friday we went to uh, a morton pekin basketball game and uh, my wife was actually singing at the, the national anthem there. And, and we were there in the front row, wooed a few peeking people over to the Morton side. And uh, we had some good friends over there that, uh, and some staff members. So they feel a little pressure to be wooed, I guess. But we, uh, we just, it was a good time sitting front row on the Morton side as we were challenging the team and cheering for the team. And there was a student body standing back there and they stand the whole time. I, I feel for them. But they're standing the whole time and they're cheering for their team and they're jeering the other team. Do you notice the difference? One is CH and one is J. One is good and one is bad, right? And they're jeering the other team. They're ripping the other team anytime they make a mistake. But they were doing more than that. They were also giving advice. Advice about where to pass the ball. Advice about where the clock was at. And, and, and none of it was accurate. Okay? It's called counter coaching. Have you ever heard of it? It's actually game plan. And in other things, like in extreme sports and all that, they've got it going on. It's part of it. It's built in. Like we're going to put counter coaches all along the way. And you have to decide who you're going to listen to. And it got to the halftime. And it was a close game. It was a great game between the two, right down to the wire. And at the halftime, uh, there was 20 seconds left in the half. And all of a sudden, I hear the student body. The clock's ticking. 20, 19, 18. And the student body starts counting out. Five, four, three, right? Trying to freak the guy out. He doesn't listen, holds the ball, drives the lane well, did a great job. But I got to tell you, counter coaching. Oh, it was going on. And you got to choose who you're going to listen to. It's going on in life. You got a lot of counter coaching going on in your life. The world speaks loudly of their own opinion. And it doesn't lead towards Jesus Christ. How are you doing at ignoring the counter coaching going on in your life? 
How are you doing it? Listening to the one coach you should be listening to. Your rightful king, the one who is fully God and fully man. It is important, it is essential for us to begin to recognize his voice. To begin to learn of his character. So that when we see it, when we hear it, we go, oh, I know that. That's the original. And when somebody else challenges with something, we're like, sorry, that can't be from him. It just doesn't match up. Coaching. Which voice are you listening to? We need to be responding to our almighty. We need to have our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our good faith, right? Hebrews 12. May you listen with all you have to the whisper of the spirit in the scream of the counter coaching of this world. This word coming to life and the Holy Spirit moving within you. Why do this Christmas celebration thing? To keep reminding us of who is in charge, of who has it all together, of who should we be listening to. Our almighty Savior, rightful King, our almighty God, fully God, fully man. So first, respond to him as King. Second, recognize his nature and respond to him as coach in your life. And third, He is our Savior, the fulfillment of promises and prophecies. He is our Savior, the fulfillment of promises and prophecies. We'll just start in verse 20 here. It says, but as he, that's Joseph, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, you know, one from the lineage of the king, Joseph, son of David, do not fear To take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's not a lie. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Joseph gets a visit from an angel to clear things up. Joseph is ready to set her aside and say, sorry, I'm going with the natural. I'm really not buying the miraculous right now. I'm really wanting to know who. And so I'm letting you go. But an angel makes it clear. The who is the Holy Spirit. God Almighty. Joseph, embrace my plan. It's bigger than you can imagine. Fully God and fully man. God, come to earth. The Savior of the universe. Call him Yeshua. Because it means God is our salvation. Yeshua. Then it says right here, call him that, Jesus, Yeshua in the Hebrew, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And I might even add, and by the promises of Abraham. You know, we just got done with this faith walk series where there was a promise of absolute certainty that there would be multitudes of people following Abraham. That there would be kings. That there would be rightful ownership. And now, let me tell you this. There is in the line, the seed of Abraham now. We have Jesus who is here to save all people from their sins who will come to him. Let me tell you, he will bring a blessing to the nations. And hey, there's Abraham's promise being fulfilled. And more than that, we're also seeing the prophecy being fulfilled from Isaiah 7.14. Verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin 
shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is Isaiah 7. There will be a virgin, you know, someone who has not been with another man, and she will bear a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Im with Anu us. El is God. God with us. Oh, look, they put it right here for us in the translation, which means God with us, right? May we celebrate him as Im Anu El. God with us. I'll tell you what, let me say his name and you tell me what it means. I'll say Emmanuel, you say God with us. His name, it's Im Anu El. It means God with us. Im Anu El. It means God with us. He is fully God and fully man. He is Emmanuel. God with us. That's what we're here to celebrate. That's why the Christmas season means so much to us. That's why it's an atrocity to simply say, I'm not sure I really understand it. I think I'm just going to walk past it and think about something else. May we grasp the wholeness of our God. May we grasp the awesomeness of our God. May we say, Lord, wow, you are God with us, fully God and fully man. May I celebrate you with all I have. Notice it says at the end here, when Joseph woke from his sleep, well, uh, he did as the angel said. He did as the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and he ended up caring for this family. Notice what it says here. Just a little side note. It says, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And they called his name Yeshua, Jesus. Just a little side note. Joseph left this thing in total purity between God and Mary until after Jesus was born. And then they had family. He knew her not until. So if anybody ever says to you, hey, I think Mary was actually a virgin her whole life. He knew her not until. You kind of need to deal with scripture, not just personal opinion, right? So that's a little side piece. Main point, wow. We have a God who is Savior. He will save his people from their sins. We have a God who is Emmanuel right here with us. We have a God who has simply said, in my vastness and holiness, I could sever and remove completely. But I choose because of my love to bring you in and embrace. I want my holiness and my love and mercy to be poured out upon you. And the plan, God with us. Fully God, fully man. Now that's worth celebrating. Amen? That's the Christmas story. As we put our arms around the whole of this season, I ask you this. See him as your rightful king. See him as the one in your life who is fully God, fully man, complete coach in your life, completely accurate, and total savior, Yeshua, God with us, Emmanuel. Let's pray.